I'm Andrew Schenkel. This is the Tree Podcast, conversations about communicating climate action. This time around, we're talking about Break Free 2016, a global wave of protests and demonstrations planned for May. These actions are taking aim at the world's most dangerous fossil fuel projects, most of them coal, oil, and fossil fuel related. All of them are taking place in the wake of last year's Paris Agreement. And we felt that uh, one of the most important things we could do coming out of Paris was make sure that that same signal about the end of that fossil fuel era was being sent by civil society. So the idea was to do a series of mass mobilizations um, that were happening around the world, uh, focused on challenging the real power of the fossil fuel industry, challenging their social license and legitimacy, and reflecting uh, the power and the potential power of thousands of people taking mass direct action against that industry, of asserting their rights uh, to a healthy and safe future and a healthy and safe community. That's the voice of Matt Leonard of 350.org here in the U.S. The communities where he talks about these actions happening are all over the world, as Tim Ratcliffe of 350 Europe explains. People are organizing, as mentioned, across the world, from the Philippines to Indonesia, Australia, Brazil, uh, Nigeria, South Africa, U.S. and Canada, and of course here in Europe. And one of, uh, one of the most important things that unites all of these actions is uh, a set of strategic organizing values. And those values uh, include uh, from fossils to freedom. So this is the uh, kind of the, the just democratic energy future based on 100% renewable energy that we're, we're seeking. Uh, and our actions will aim to articulate this need and bring that vision uh, closer to being realized. Another one of the values is uh, peaceful direct action. So the destruction of our planet and poisoning of our communities is a violent attack and we will not respond in kind. Uh, So we won't seek to harm anyone or damage property, even if our actions are met with a violent response, but yes to maximum disruption of business as usual. Uh, escalation, uh, break-free actions will involve increasing levels of risk and pressure appropriate to the local context. Uh, time's up for governments to slowly, gradually shift away from fossil fuels. It's now necessary that we, uh, the people, stand up to dramatically accelerate the just transition. Uh, second to last of the strategic principles is uh, mass participation. Uh, We encourage participation in the actions from anyone and everyone who agrees to these principles and through open organizing and inviting a diverse participation, uh, amplifying the voices of those at the front line of these efforts, we hope that our people power can grow. Uh, And so this moment is not about any individual person or any one organization. It's about a process of collectively standing up for the transformation that's required. And global action. We believe that it's essential to confront the ongoing shift uh, of responsibility for climate action around the globe, uh, to show that there's no longer new geographies for the fossil fuel industry to exploit or to export its pollution to. Uh, And so Break Free from Fossil Fuels is a platform through which people can take and create actions anywhere across the globe uh, using these principles. Now, these organizing principles and the global wave of actions are important this May because even though we got a climate agreement back in December, getting governments to live up to that agreement is a different story. 
That's what is at the heart of these actions, says Melanie Matok, also of 350 Europe. Governments committed in Paris to keep global warming below 2 degrees, ideally to 1.5, um, but there's just a huge gap between this goal and their actual plans for action. So now it's really up to ordinary people. Globally, for break free, the top line key messages are really that the vast major majority of coal, oil and gas simply cannot be burned and that people around the world are prepared to take to take escalated action to um, really keep these fossil fuels in the ground. In order to underscore keeping it in the ground, most of the break-free actions are taking aim at coal mines and coal plants or the infrastructure that carries fossil fuels like oil trains, gas export terminals, and pipelines. Jane Klebe of Bold, Nebraska here in the U.S. knows a little bit something about fighting infrastructure projects. Jane is a pipeline fighter who helped lead the charge against the Keystone XL pipeline. She knows firsthand the importance of taking on infrastructure projects, even when it seems impossible. You know, I think, you know, in Nebraska, and I think this is true in local communities, when you first hear about a big pressure station or a big fracking project that's going to happen, or obviously a pipeline, your initial reaction is to protect that place, that home, that farmland, that water supply. You know, it wasn't until about two years into the Keystone XL pipeline fight did all of us, me including the farmers and ranchers that we were working with and citizens on the ground, did we really start to make the connection between what we were doing um, and climate change? And I think activists now are doing that all across, not only in the United States, but the world, which is why you're seeing these huge mobilizations on the ground against fossil fuel infrastructure projects. Because the reality is, if a company does not have a pipeline to transport the fracked gas, the tar sands, or the Bakken oil, then that stuff can't be pulled out of the ground and sent to the export market. And we've really learned kind of three key lessons from our perspective on how we stop these infrastructure projects. You know, the first one for us is to end eminent domain for private gain. Eminent domain is a longstanding federal and state policy that was really put in place for governments to use for public purpose projects like highways or transmission lines. But big oil, to no surprise to anybody on the phone, has really kind of essentially inserted themselves into state law and have opened the eminent domain law wide open to allow them to use it for private projects. So we have to end that practice with both federal and state legislation. The second thing we have to do is critical, and that's to get a climate test on the books for all infrastructure projects. You know, I'm, I've been doing a lot of traveling to Wisconsin, to Virginia, and to other states that are battling pipelines and cracking projects, and I say the same thing over and over again, that if President Obama thought a climate test was good enough to protect our land and our water in Nebraska, then a climate test has to be good to protect everybody's land and water, no matter where you live. So we're hoping that President Obama does that through an executive order before he leaves office. But if Secretary Clinton or Senator Sanders are the next president of the United States, they can put that in place as well. And it's actually now a national effort that both local and national groups are doing. And folks can read about that more on climatetest.org. And then the third way that we think we can stop pipelines is to use state permits. The best recent example is New York, where Governor Cuomo used a kind of obscure water permit, denied a water permit to the Constitution pipeline which essentially is ending that pipeline, even though a permit um, was given to the pipeline by FERC. A huge victory for citizens, a huge victory for 
using state level process in order to stop these projects. Um, you know, and all of this, I'll say, has been done across the country with unlikely alliances. For us in Nebraska, that was farmers, ranchers, tribal nations, and environmentalists and young people. Um, but in other states, you know, that unlikely alliance looks different. Um, so, but that's a key is that it can't just be one constituency. We've got to be joining this together. Matt Leonard can add to this. And these groups take all sorts of shapes and forms from, um, you know, groups like Rising Tide, who are often more direct action oriented to, uh, in some cases, groups of grandmothers or uh, faith and religious communities. Um, we've seen community labor partnerships, social justice groups, uh, a huge array of, of groups across the movement landscape making up the, the real decision making and organizing cores for these actions all over the country. Um, but as I said, generally, these are all pieces of fossil fuel infrastructure that are being targeted uh, with, a, with few exceptions. Um, I think for a lot of people realizing that strategically, that's one of our best avenues for social change right now. Um, you know, the industry is, is down and hurting, and the more we can really reinforce that, uh, that, uh, that need for the transition, um, I think this is a real window of opportunity to do it. What we're really excited about is 350 is helping stitch those stories together. How people in, the, in Pacific Northwest or in Nebraska are effectively working right alongside people in Turkey or Nigeria uh, to be a part of this global movement. Even if they're not literally standing next to each other or literally talking to each other, we can use the storytelling and digital platforms and other mechanisms to, to make that story and reflect a global movement that really is united in a call for a new sort of economy based on clean energy. Beyond fighting fossil fuel infrastructure projects, many of the actions in Europe are all about taking on the coal industry at a time when the industry is reeling. While coal may be on the ropes in some places, it's now more clear than ever it still needs people power to deliver the final knockout. More specifically in Europe, we've got uh, a few main actions that are taking place. The two main actions being in, in Germany and the UK. And in Germany, between the 14th and 15th of May, thousands of activists uh, will come together to shut down a huge open cast coal mine close to the Polish border in an in a area called uh, the Lausitz or Lausatia. Uh, there'll be civil disobedience to, to stop the open, uh, open pit mine from operating. Uh, the mine's owned by a Swedish company called Vattenfall, uh, who are currently hoping to sell the mines and coal operations in Germany to a Czech company. Uh, and yeah, the action will involve blockading the excavators and also the coal trains and conveyor belts that deliver coal uh, across the, the site into the power plants in, in the region. And one of the main aims of that action is to show any future buyers that all coal development will face significant uh, resistance. Uh, in the area and to demonstrate our commitment to a different kind of energy system uh, that prioritizes people uh, and the planet over corporate power and profit. In the UK, uh, we've got the Reclaim Power Network. We'll be bringing together hundreds of people uh, uh, in Wales at the UK's largest open cast coal mine, uh, Fossy Fran, which is near Merthyr Tydfil in South Wales. And this action will take place just a few days before the Welsh uh, Assembly uh, elections on the 5th of May. Uh, so it's an important moment to uh, to be put in, put in pressure on there 
and there's been some recent good news around a, a coal power station that's fed by that mine actually which is is going to be downgraded uh, and has been in constant breach of eu air quality regulations for eight years so some good news going into into that action um there'll also be activities in in warsaw so uh activists are organizing to target a pension fund uh that is financing coal expansion there uh and there'll be some other activities in barcelona and switzerland as well while a lot of these planned actions paint a picture of positive momentum when it comes to coal in Europe, the tale isn't that simple. Alif Gundizeli, the Turkey Climate and Energy Policy Coordinator for Can International, explains that coal in Europe is a tale of two cities, or rather, two continents. Um, so, for instance, Belgium closed its uh, last coal power plant last month in March 2016. And, uh, and then Portugal uh, wants to phase out of coal by 2020, Austria by 2025, Finland again around 2025, and UK. So Tim also mentioned about the good news uh, coming up, like about the closures of existing coal power plants in the UK. But also UK wants to like state it that uh, until 2025, um, the, the coal power plants wouldn't exist anymore. And then the Netherlands as well, which is a little complicated, but then um, some court cases and then parliamentary decisions that support the court cases, etc., say that by 2020, uh, there should be like uh, the, the last like coal power plant should be closed by 2020. So these are like the, the good news that we should celebrate all together. Uh, whereas, or then like we can put it in the way that these are the champions of, of Europe. And um, so we also have the laggards and it's just like, maybe it's better to mention uh, the, the battles that go on in the larger Europe uh, is that it's in, it's going in two different strands. So um, one battle is against the, the planned power plant. So the new um, projects that are planned in some countries. And then the other battle is to close uh, existing coal power plants. So these are two completely different dynamics depending on the on the local and, and regional dynamics of different countries. But so when we come to the, the laggards, uh, the, the areas where there's still a lot of work uh, in order to phase out of coal like completely, is basically Southeastern European countries and starting from Turkey. Um, so just to give an idea is that Turkey is planning to have um, around 80, so 80 new coal power plants by 2023. So which is like completely the opposite of what the champions are planning to do, like phase out of coal. Um, and then uh, like Serbia and Bulgaria, um, Montenegro, Romania, and then of course, Poland, um, Spain, etc. So there's quite uh, some work to do. And there a lot of like groups that have been active in these battles to close existing coal power plants um, and shut down mines and at the same time shelf uh, plant coal power plants uh, in different countries. And while talking about coal can often get tricky, as a lift pointed out, she also points out some basics of coal comms these days starting with Paris, but also getting local, talking about economics and celebrating the climate movement's success each time coal is dealt a defeat. 
One hook that we should keep on using is the Paris hook, definitely. So if we want to hit 1.5 degrees, then uh, there is no place for call. Like um, one thing that we keep on discussing is that um, if, like, since the governments have agreed on on Paris Agreement, and which means that global uh, temperature increases will be stopped at 1.5 or then below, well below two degrees, then it means that we shouldn't have been speaking on coal now, right? Like we should have passed that age. So that is a, a crucial thing to use. Like there is definitely no place for new coal infrastructure that is like out of the table and then coal age is over. So countries should start closing up their existing coal infrastructures as well. That's definitely one in the pocket. And then, uh, yes, the other one is the, the health and pollution impacts of coal. Um, so that has to do with the, the the justice issue, right? Like the we need a just energy transition that puts people and communities in the center. Um, and yeah, so like getting the as like escalations as well and break free and other movements um, have been um, getting together, communities gather together uh, to demand their rights to to live actually in a clean environment and and be able to um breathe right so that is a very strong argument as well um also the the third one is the eco economic uh argument that like um that the investment risks and finance risks of uh of coal power plants so that um has to do with uh well the way we put it is that coal is not profitable and we see it because coal companies are getting bankrupt and that there is no like profit in that anymore unless um, the government decides to subsidize coal and which links actually like government subsidies coal links a lot with the with the justice and paris issues right i mean government intervention um to make coal profitable is completely illegitimate a after paris um b due to external costs such as um climate impacts and uh, health and environmental impacts so uh, that's that's definitely another argument and uh, the last one uh, would be well this is not an <laughs> might not be an argument argument but it would be good to celebrate um closures and then and mobilization wins because um that definitely changes turns the agenda um to our side uh the, the more we celebrate closures of existing coal power plants the more pressure the groups in different countries who who battle against the the, the new coal power plants uh can put pressure uh, on their governments and with that we're going to conclude this tree podcast a big thanks to our five speakers and to joe uline and the uliners here in washington dc who let us sample some of their tunes to learn more about Break Free and to get involved this May, please visit BreakFree2016.org. And as always, to get the best information about communicating the climate issues of the day every day, visit TreeAlerts.org and join our network. Until next time.